it never got old. It mm. still hasn't gotten old. Like, I think back on those two years, and there was definitely some hard times. Like, emotionally, more so than physically, it emotionally beat the crap out of me. But I would do it again tomorrow. That is Leah Thorvalson, and this is Inner Voice with Travis McKenzie. Many of you may know Leah as the inaugural winner of the Zwift Academy, a competition designed to offer a weekend warrior a chance to chase their dream as a professional cyclist. The only thing is, Leah had zero ambition to ever race as a professional cyclist. Her journey to the Pro Tour is far from standard. In fact, Leah had never raced before joining the world's best cyclists in the world's biggest races. In fact, Leah's first love was running. She spent so much of her life pursuing her goals to race in the Boston Marathon and beyond. During our conversation, she talks about her journey from working in a salon to setting school records as a runner to standing on the start line at the U.S. Olympic Trials. Her tale is not all rosy. During what was supposed to be a short break from running, she spent two and a half years cramming in all of the partying she possibly could. In a moment of reckoning, she realized that she was squandering her athletic talent. She made a decision to change her life, and in the fall of 2007, she started running again on an unstructured plan. In that time, injuries, heartbreak, victory followed, to the point of entering the highest ranks of cycling. Part of her story is a cautionary tale. Part of it is a heroic journey of someone who just keeps showing up and doing the work. As happens for many of us, Leah has had a hard time settling on what her Instagram bio reads. You'll hear more about that as well. I'm so thankful for the team at iCore Labs for introducing Leah and I. We crossed paths at a few races in 2019, and I look forward to sharing more conversations and miles with Leah in 2020, on a bike or on two feet. You'll also hear during the interview Leah talk about the benefits of using iCore daily as a replacement for her anti-anxiety medication and her prescription drugs, and I'm grateful for their support of the show. She also shares her love for the iCore recovery shot. When we recorded this interview in the summertime, it was a brand new product and I hadn't tried it. Since then, let me tell you, it's been an absolute game changer for me. I'm currently 59 days into a run streak of at least 3 miles a day, and a focus on recovery has been the thing that has kept me going. In fact, I don't think I physically could have made it this far without it. So here's what I want to do. If you'd like to try the iCore recovery shot for yourself, send me an email to travis at innervoice.life, and I'll send you one to try. I'm convinced that it will become a staple in your recovery protocol from now on. I'll add a link in the notes so you can go and check out the ingredients and learn more about the benefits of using iCore as a daily part of your recovery routine. For now, here's Leah Thorvalson. I'm so, so excited to be chatting with you. Um, most people probably know you as the inaugural winner of the Zwift Academy, which we'll get to in a little while. Um, and you also have a, a great history in endurance sports, which I'm excited to hear more about. But I'm going to dive right in and I'm going to ask you the hard-hitting question of what was life like for you growing up? <laughs> what was life like for me growing up? Wow. Um, that's a very broad question, actually. Um, <clears throat> I grew up in uh, Robbinsdale, Minnesota, and um, I guess I was always active, but as far as... Um, running and cycling well, specifically. So, I mean, I did have a bike as a kid, but 
it was, you know, 10 speed ride around to your friend's house or whatever. Um, I certainly was never involved in cycling per se as a sport. Um, I was, I did dancing, I, um, tap ballet, jazz, like studio dancing and started running. Running is really where my endurance sport background come from, comes from. And that really started in high school. Um, I don't know if you were actually really asking about my athletic <laughs> life, but but it's just like what was life growing up? Like, well, you well, know, I like to I like to leave it a little open and hear what people come up with. So it's perfect. Well, it worked I told perfectly. You, you wouldn't be able to stump me with a question, and then like I right out the gate, I'm just like, oh, I really wasn't actually prepared for that. I didn't know we were going that far back in the archives. But um, yeah, no, I. Um, yeah, was that when my mind on track? Was that where kind of what you were? Yeah, wanting? that's awesome. That's great. And I think the next follow up for me to that is um, is it a bit more um, direct around endurance sports and <laughs> did it you know find you or did you find it? What was that? Um, how did that start for you with your your running in high school as you mentioned? Sure. Okay. Um, I think that I started running. Well, actually, okay, I can take you back to at least in my memory, which I am getting up in age. So it's probably not what it used to be. But the first time that I remember running, my dad used to run and he came into my room one morning or I woke up or something and he was getting ready to go and run a 5k with some people from his work. And he said, you know, I think I asked what he was doing. And I said, I'm going to run a 5k. Do you want to come? And I, I don't know that I've ever verified this with him, but I'm pretty sure he was like, just asking because he's a, he's a dad and yeah. it's like, Oh, daughter wants to know what you're doing. I don't know that I think he really expected me to go, but I was like, sure, I'll come. And, um, I remember, <laughs> I remember it very clearly because it was, I don't remember what month it was, but it was Minnesota and it was still sort of chilly. So I had on like warm up pants and a sweatshirt over a t-shirt with my number pinned on and everything. And I started out running with my dad and it was a 5k race and about a mile into it, I was kind of bored with dad's pace. <laughs> and I was like, are you, do you mind if I just go? And he's like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. And I started to get hot and I wanted to take my sweatshirt off, but I had pinned my sweatshirt to my t-shirt with my bid number. So I had to run the whole thing just in like my sweatshirt. Um, but I was kind of hooked after that. I mean, I think, I don't remember at the time thinking like, I beat that, but I probably was. I think I was a little bit chuffed that, you know, I I just decided to go out one day and run with that and I beat him. But that's um, that's the first time I remember really running and I must have been, I must have been 14 or 15. I don't know. Yeah. Which I guess that would put me overlap in high school. But my sister had been doing track and field and cross country. And I was, you know, I, I was, I'm two years younger than her and always looked up to my sister. And I think, you know, I thought she was doing well and I wanted to be good at something too. And, um, I just kind of jumped into the events that she was doing because I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I mainly did triple jump and like, um, well, she was a hundred meter hurdler and I wasn't, I didn't quite have this speed coordination for that. So I did the 300 meter hurdles and then did some sprint relay. So I was definitely not endurance athlete. I didn't do cross country in high school because my my big thing in high school, like where my family of friends came from was the dance team. And that right. took up the winter time when cross country would be going on. So 
Um, the longest race I ever did in high school was 800 meters. And I begged my coaches a few times to let me do the two mile because I was, you know, I think like the majority of girls in high school, maybe not the majority, but I feel like there's a large number that struggle with body image. And so it's like, you know, of course I thought I was fat and I wanted to start running more distance. So it's like, well, I'm not doing these two mile runs. I should race the 3000 or 3200. And they're in my coaches. So we're just kind of like, just because you can run two miles doesn't mean you should race mm. two miles. And the two mile always fell in the schedule right after the 300 hurdles. And they wanted me, anyways, I'm going off on a major tangent here. I apologize. But basically I started, I wasn't really much of a distance runner. And then I graduated high school and didn't really have a lot of direction. All my friends knew what they wanted to do and I didn't. And I applied to six different colleges and got into all of them. Didn't really have any reason to want to go to any of them. And, um, the night before I was supposed to pack up and leave and go to Wisconsin to go to, um, UW lacrosse, I was just, I freaked out and it didn't feel right about it. And I just told, went and I told my mom, I was like, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not going. And she's like, Oh honey, you're scared. I was like, no, 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 it's not that I'm scared. I'm, but I'm, I'm not going. Yeah. And I've looked through all my papers and I decided I'm going to go to massage therapy school and blah, blah, blah. And I, uh, so I ended up going to massage therapy school and later community college. I'm making this long story. Short. I can't believe I've gone way off the no, deep this end. Is great. But, I love it. Um, <laughs> but I ended up, I graduated massage therapy school, but then realized, I mean, I was 19 years old and it was like, I'm not really, I've never been like a, fingernails are always done, a lot of makeup. I enjoy spending time doing my hair. Like, I'm not that cool. So I was just like, if I go to work in a salon, that's maybe my people, the women who work here, because all of my friends that are my age are getting degrees right now. So I should go back to school. Mm-hmm. Like, I should go to college. But, um, so I started going to a community college and coaching the junior varsity dance team at the high school where I had graduated from. And in that time... I heard that they had left they're not that they no longer had a women's um distance coach. So, you know, being the really grown up nineteen year old that I was, uh, and that I was still winning just as a matter of it being said, from the men's coach and I was just like I heard that um you don't have a women's distance coach, so if you want me to come out and <laughs> lead your women's program. You know, I, mean, I wasn't even looking for a job. I was just like, I can do this. And yeah. he was like, um, you shouldn't be coaching. You should be racing. And I was just like, well, I go to Minneapolis Community College and they don't have a track team. Yeah. And he said, well, I know a coach down in Arkansas who is trying to build a program. And understand that, you know, I wasn't, I was, I was, I was good, but I wasn't great. I wasn't, recruited by any D1 schools. Um, I had talked to a couple of D2 schools, but it wasn't like I had reason to think I could be developed into this great runner. Like I went to state once in a four by 400 meter relay and we were fourth and that was the, you know, the highest accomplishment I had. I was a regional champion and a lot of things, but I just wasn't. So when he said that to me, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, send him my, send him my statistics. I'm sure he'll be really impressed. Mm. And I was just like, I'm not, this isn't going to go anywhere. I didn't really need it to that. And the coach called me the next day 
And he said, you know, well, we'd really like you to come down and visit our school. And I was like, well, I don't know if I can afford to do that. Cause I didn't understand the way recruiting worked. I didn't understand that they would pay for me to come down and right. check out the school. So I went down there and I mean, it was, I was, it wasn't just like, uh, I went home pretty sure that I wasn't going to go. Not that I had any bad feeling about it. I just didn't have anything pulling me to go there, but we kept in contact and eventually the coach was like offering me a bigger scholarship to come. And I was just like, okay, I have to do this because what am I doing up here? I'm going to community college. I don't have a direction. I don't have a plan. If I don't go, I'll always wonder what if. So on uh, January 1st, 1999, mom and I got into a U-Haul and drove down to Little Rock and I've been there ever since. (laughs) Amazing. And what was, what was the, what do you think the, coach saw in you to just kind of think that you maybe had what it took like did you ever talk to him about that or kind of what was your sense of of that from him um well i think from a couple of things one this wasn't the university of arkansas razorbacks this was university of arkansas at little rock it was not at the time that school it was d1 but it was sunbelt conference it was um they didn't have a ton of money. They didn't have a track at the university. So getting in-state kids to come to come there, it's like all of the really fast kids wanted to go elsewhere. So he kind of had to look for diamonds in the rough, I think, wherever he was looking. Like he, it wasn't, you know, it, it what, it's not a typical, like I think the average age of students at that university was, in the thirties or something like it's a, it's very much like a, it's just not a typical school that kids who are looking for a college experience go to, go to like think of. And also it's, it wasn't a super high reputable program, but it was D one. So they were able to give scholarships, but it just, he kind of had to. So I think he saw that I'd had some talent and that I had a good work ethic, you know, and they brought I mean, on the visit, I don't, I don't remember the conversations, but we probably had conversations. And um, looking at my times, high school distance running, I, I don't say this. I don't know if this is still true, and I don't. It's sound. It's going to sound a way that I don't like to. But I remember looking at results from the state meet in Arkansas once I was moved down there, and thinking like I would have gone to state in every event that I ran, but in Minnesota, I was only able to make it in a relay. So it's like what he was working with down there, I guess I had better results than a lot of the high school kids in Arkansas. Yeah. From this distance, distance, I guess in Minnesota, I guess it was the competition was harder. I don't, I think for sprints, it might've been the opposite. There was a lot, there's a lot of sprint talent in Arkansas, but, um, so yeah, I think he saw that I had decent results and was, May I, I I mean I don't know I I always like to tell the story I'm just like you know I was I needed some direction and he was desperate and <laughs> in the end it it ended up you know I I I will never know I suppose I could ask him and at this point he would probably tell me but I don't know if he truly just saw great potential in me from the beginning or if he just saw an opportunity and fed me what I needed to hear until I was good. Yeah, because it's like I wore that man out. Like once I was down there, like I was in his office probably every day, just like 
this is what I want to do. Like, what can it, like, looking at, in looking at the times of what, I, you know, events I wanted to do once I got the sense that, oh, I could actually hang some success with running. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just, he believed in me. And I think sometimes, man, sometimes that's all it takes is yeah. like one person yeah. to believe in you more than you believe in yourself and then convince you that you have something valuable, that you have a talent, you know, and it's like, then if you believe in yourself and you're willing to put some work in, you know, I came in there having never run cross country. And when I left at the time, I had school records and a couple of different distances. I don't, I think they've been obliterated since, but, but at the time, you know, it's, it's like I had, I had provisionally qualified for nationals at the indoor mile and, um, very close to qualifying for nationals in cross country. I can't, I was like always the, the short stick, like, the way that they selected people to go to these events. I'm going way off the deep end again. Anyway, I'm just going to, I'm going to cut myself <laughs> off. But I ended up having more success than we expected. And I found that I really like in the summertime when a lot of people would take time off. I said, okay, I'll take, I'll take a week or two weeks off, but I didn't really enjoy time off. I wanted to get right back into it. And yeah. I started putting in, you know, the summertime base miles, maybe um, 60, 70, 80 miles a week by the time I was a senior and, um, really enjoyed it. Um, so that was kind of what led me to once my eligibility competing collegiately was up to think maybe I wanted to give the marathon a shot because I loved the long distance. I loved the training that was involved in just long miles and time out on the road. It was very cathartic. Yeah. And I think it, you know, it seems like, you became a runner by happenstance, effectively, but obviously a lot of work and time and energy and belief and all of those things yeah. went into it in the meantime, so not wanting to discount the achievement by any means. But tell me about, um, you know, January 1, 1999 to the time you're running in the Olympic trials. What was, you know, what was that transition from college like? Um, how did you kind of find your way in the marathon to the point where yeah. you know, you're competing on, you know, the, the biggest stage in the country, effectively. Yeah. Well, there, there's definitely, you know, I kind of gave you the, the the short version of having some success in different distances and finding out I really liked that training and then wanting to try a marathon. And I ran my first marathon and it was a three or oh, three. I mean, it was just over three hours. Um, qualified for Boston, which for a lot of people. I mean, that's, a, that's, that's all they ever hope to achieve as a marathon yeah. runner. So I qualified for Boston and then my, my sister actually runs marathons as well. And she was going to Boston and her father-in-law was also going to Boston. So I decided that that would be the next, the next one and, um, planned to run Boston in 2005. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to stop myself from going all berserk <laughs> on this, but Go I really trained my, I trained my tail off between uh, those two runs, but I really, I realized I needed a break because I never, you know, when I was talking about in college that I would take like a week or two weeks off, but I wanted to jump back into it. And then it was cross country and then went straight from cross country in the track and the same thing over again. And I lived it, but I kind of, I think, I didn't have the maturity yet to 
Um, I probably should have taken more breaks than I did. It was almost like OCD. So I decided that after Boston in 2005, I was going to, I was going to take an entire month off. Um, and that month turned into two and a half years. Yeah. So there was a break in it. Um, and in that two and a half years, I also, I think I, I like did the fast track to, um, like I crammed all the partying that any kid might have done in high school and college into the two and a half years that I like after that. Yeah. <laughs> like I just, I mean, I just kind of kind of went nuts. Um, and fortunately for me, didn't get sucked too deep into the hole where I could have been. Cause I mean, I, I did some things I probably don't want to, <laughs> I, I'll talk about them freely, but I don't know if I want them broadcast in, in a podcast, in yeah. an article, but, but I, at one point it was around, you know, actually I can remember very clearly the turning point because it was 2007. And at the time, my space, was the, the big thing. Facebook wasn't quite it yet. It was MySpace. And someone had posted on MySpace about, um, oh, his name is escaping me right now, but the, the guy who um, who had like a heart failure during the Olympic trials and died um, in the 2007 Olympic trials. Um, and he was a guy who he wouldn't have known who I was, but I remember him very clearly from track days in college because he was he was sort of built like me. Like I'm not built like a marathoner. I've got a very muscular build. I look more like a swimmer or a soccer player or something. And I just remember this guy, he was, he was far more talented. He was another level than what I was. And I remember thinking like, well, that guy's got, he's kind of built more like a sprinter. You know, he's a badass marathoner. And then these stories started popping up like, Oh, gone too soon. And I looked into it. And I just sort of something about that really, hit me and made me think you've got talent as a runner and you're just squandering it being mm-hmm. an idiot yeah. doing what you're doing with your life like you should you should put away the dumb choices you're making and get back into running and I just and it was I mean probably not quite as cut and dry as it seems in my memory but I yeah. it was just like I'm I'm ready to get back into it and but I decided that I was going to take a much healthier approach with like when I was in college, when I was, when I was doing, like if I would get up and I would run or if it was, like, if I would oversleep and miss like the cool enough time of day to run and just like, okay, well I'm going to have to nap and I'm going to have to run this evening. And I would take a nap and I would have like these nightmares about missing my run and waking yeah. up and it's like, it's too dark to go. And then you're, like repetitively I would have these things and I was just like, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to get up and run. I don't think I even wore a watch in the beginning. It's like, if I wake up and I don't want to run, I'm not going to go, but I want to start doing and very unstructured training, but just running. So this is the fall of 2007 after, after the story of the, the guy, I think it was Ryan something that I can't, I, I hate that I can't think of it right now because it just seems disrespectful, but, um, so in 2000, so I started running, and then in 2008, ran the marathon and ran my best time by like six minutes, just kind of on much less structured training. I ran a 252, and then I was just got this kind of okay. Well, I wonder what it would take to go to the Olympic trials. Yeah. 
and I looked it up, and at and that year, two forty seven, I think was a B qualifier. B standard meaning like if you if you run a B standard, you can go. If you run an A standard, you're funded. Yeah. Um, and I just thought, okay, well, I've got four years, so in four years, I can I can take five minutes off of my time, for sure. And that was kind of my goal. And then I ended up running a 244 that fall. And it was like a, it was like a massive, like a seven minute personal best, which at those times you just don't have massive breakthroughs very often. That's when I kind of thought, yeah, and it wasn't even, the the window wasn't even open to qualify for the 2012 trial. I was like, well, shit, (laughs) I just, I just ran the time I need now. So it's not a matter now of, if I can, like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. Like I'm running in the Olympic trials in 2012. Yeah. It was just, it was decided in the fall of 2008. <laughs> and yeah, that was, there was when I decided that, that, that I might have a shot at it. And I also became addicted to, I loved running marathons. I loved to travel with my friends to races. I love the atmosphere of it. I actually usually ran better at the ones that were the lower key races that I was there with friends and maybe trying to make a little bit of cash. The yeah. high pressure races, I never did as well. And I don't know if that was, I don't know. It was probably a mental thing. It probably just got in my head that, mm. but I just, I never, my best races were never on the highest platforms. Well, I think a, a lot of people can relate to that. I think, you know, a couple of things you yeah. said there uh, particularly around that kind of that burnout and, you know, pushing yourself probably beyond your limits in training when you were young and um, not giving yourself that downtime. Now, I actually want to ask you about that. Was there like intervention from your coaches at the time to say, you know, you should be taking more of a break or were they kind of encouraging you to do more or was it, you know, you were independent and you just decided that's what you wanted to do? Um, I'm trying to remember and I, I don't remember any serious. Are you talking about before I took the two and a half year break? No, I mean like when you're in, um, like when you're in college and in the summertime, like you only took a week off and you kind of just kept yeah. kept rolling. Like, um, um, yeah, I'm just interested to I kind mean, of. I think, yeah. I think if I'm remembering it right, and I would have to cross check this with my coach, but I mean, I think I remember kind of a you know just be careful, don't. But I think he could see how much I loved it, mm-hmm. and it was just like. You know, I mean, there probably was mild concern, but it wasn't like I was going out and hammering and doing track sessions in the summer. I was just, I was just running. And that was my favorite. I mean, I think it's like, you know, you talk to a lot of professional cyclists and it's like, what's your favorite ride? And it's like the six hour training ride with my friends. Yeah. It's like, they just, you know, of course they know the importance of the intervals and the tempo work and all of that, but their favorite time is like the base season. And I think for me, it's like, my whole summertime and what else was I going to do? Like mm-hmm. running made me feel so great. And I mean, I, I, I guess I worked part-time jobs, whatever, but so that was a college kid. So it's just like, why would I not, you know, that, that was the best way for me to start my day to get up and like go for a run. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, mean, I I'm still that way. Like, I, I still don't like all days. Yeah. And I, I, I guess I was, you know, I, I, it sounded like I drew a straight line between that and like feeling burnt out, which I know that that's not the case. There's many, many twists and tur- sure. turns to get you there. Um, but I just kind of wondered how much of that was, yeah, was you. Um, yeah, and I, I don't, I mean, because I don't think I showed any signs of it and mm-hmm. I don't think I even realized it was happening. But the other thing, the other um, piece of the puzzle, I guess, of what might have 
my coach that I, you know, the, the guy who who'd inspired me to run and just believed in me so hard. Like once I, right around the time that I when smile to go, he was done. He took a job at university of Nevada arena where he's still, he's still there now. Um, and I think him leaving, I kind of like, I lost the structure and I lost the, mm. like, not that he was, he was still available to me to give advice, but I think, looking back on it, I think it was kind of like I'd had, I had a plan. I had, I had a, you know, I had seasons, I had cross country and I had track and then everything. So it's like once I was kind of on my own, I think until, you know, two and a half years later, it's like, okay, well, I want, I want to set different goals. I want to do a marathon. I want, this is what I want to achieve. But I think in that time frame right after it was like, it was just, it became, instead of feeling like I was always, working towards something and having it broken up by the different sports seasons, it was just a bunch of running. Yeah. And I think at, I just wasn't, I just wasn't ready. And I think there was probably, you know, I just, I, I got mixed up in, in the party scene. And for a while I, I let that take over. I let that be more important to me than my running. And I didn't have, my coach was gone. So I didn't have somebody going, what are you doing? Yeah. You know what, what, Something's off. What are you? What are you doing? You know, I didn't have that second balance. Yeah. Of it was just like I just need a break. Yeah. Uh, well, I think uh, I'm a big believer in everything happens for a reason. So I think that like, and it seems like you are as well. There's nothing you can change about what happened. But um, for me, it's it's interesting to hear you talk about your experience. And I um, probably you know very similar amount of time spent a lot of time in the same kind of party scene and. I was actually yeah. sitting in a um, in a bar in Austin, Texas, in 2011, and I saw the results of uh, Ironman pop up, and Pete Jacobs, another Aussie, won. And I looked at the screen, and I'm like, "Man, I used to like race against Pete and like beat Pete a few times." I'm yeah. like, "What am I doing? I'm sitting in this bar, like eating tater tots and drinking too many beers in in Austin." That was actually yeah. my like moment. And as you said, like not cut and dry, because there was still this like transition period of like getting away from those friends and those, you know, groups that you've yeah. been with to getting back into sport. But, yeah, I remember clearly the, a similar type of moment where you're like, man, what am I doing? Like, yeah. Something needs to change. Yeah, yeah. Another, I just have to add this little anecdote because it was another thing that was kind of funny. I had this one girlfriend who I, I credit her with a lot of keeping me, keeping my mind knowing I had that running thing because, throughout all of my party phase, you know, it's like she and I would make plans to run, but sometimes it's like I would have a, a long, like a blowout weekend and it would come to Monday morning and I'd be like, if I go and run, I'm literally going to have a heart attack. Yeah. So I would text her, I'd be like, oh, I think I'm going to sleep in. And we'd end up running a few days later and I'd tell her all about everything, all about, and she was never, you know, judgmental, but was always going to be there for me when I was ready to, yeah. to run. Um, and we eventually, when I'd had the turning point and I was like, okay, I, I really, I want to get back on regular, not like run with you. And then you won't see me for two weeks. We decided to do this mud run and it was like in costume and it ended with a hundred foot long, like mud pit with ropes across it. And there was mud marshals that would tell you like, no, you don't go over that rope. You go under it. Like you're here to get dirty, Yeah, get in the mud. And so I'm in this super chicken <laughs> was my costume like that's like the bird tail little stuffed wings chicken head hat and this cape made out of like a 
plastic picnic table thing that said super chicken on the back. And I'm super chicken crawling out of the mud pit. And I see this guy, Bill Torrey, who's like one of like the kind of iconic figures of running in Little Rock. Like he now owns a running store, but he was, and he's in his sixties, I guess now. And was, you know, I hadn't, I just, I'd completely pulled myself out of that scene. So I hadn't seen him, you know, in probably two and a half years. And yeah. Super chicken's crawling out of the mud pit. And here comes Bill Torrey, and he looks at me and shakes his head laughing. He goes, the hell of a comeback for me. <laughs> 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 and I was just like, man, I miss this crowd. Yeah. Because it's just like, you know, the people who you do would check you on, like, uh, what are you doing? Yeah. Stay away from them. Yeah. Like, well, you know, so it was like, but then I was just like, yeah, I want to be back in with these folks. Super sure. chicken. What a comeback. That's awesome. Super chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, have you still got that, that costume somewhere as in the, uh, in the, in the I, whole I fame? Do. <laughs> I, I do. I, I can, I mean, I don't have, I didn't bring it. It didn't make the suitcase to Boulder as a matter of fact. <laughs> I know it's hard to believe, but I still have it at home. It's one of those, like, I've gotten rid of a lot of things over time, but yeah. there's some things that it's just like, it's kind of a great memory for me. Like that's one of the things that marks my return to a better life. And <laughs> the super chicken is, uh, I mean, I, it may, it may never get thrown away. Yeah. I can send, I can, I can get into it and send photos when I get back in Arkansas. Please if, do. If like, but... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. That'd be awesome. Um, that's cool. Now I, I, um, I see on Instagram that you've uh, listed yourself as a cyclist. Now, how does that sit with you being a runner? Do you miss being a runner? And how is that kind of change in, like, identity um, yeah. being for you? You know, it's, it's super funny that you asked me that. And I don't know if I should be embarrassed about this, but I'm going to just not be. I'm just going to put it out there. Um, because the number of times I've gone in and edited that profile, well, actually, it's not that many. But there's probably been three or four times. That I've because okay when I was I guess my Instagram account probably came about or for sure took most of its form around the time that I got the contract with Canyon and I think prior to that I didn't have any sort of biography whatsoever and so when I got on the team it was like okay like professional cyclist at Canyon Trim and it felt super weird it always felt super weird to say when people would say, oh, what do you do when you make, like, I'm a pro cyclist. Because of the way I came into it, it felt really strange. I felt I felt like an imposter. Yeah. But it was in my Instagram profile. So then once, I, once my contract was up, I had to change it. And I didn't want to completely remove my identity, either from the time with Canyon Tram or as a cyclist. So I removed the pro and the team part because I felt like I had to. But I left the cyclist. And then once I started back running... I've gone in there since and I've been like runner cyclist. Yeah. And then like, you know, I have like I-Corps ambassador, like SIS ambassador. Like, and I put all these things and I'm like, oh, just F it. I can't, I can't right now. <laughs> so I just have left it. Leave it. So it's just funny that you say that. Like I definitely identify as both now, but it starts feeling mucked up. And then I just usually will quit before I ever get it with something I'm happy. I'm just like, cancel. I, yeah. I can't believe I'm wasting this much energy trying to come up with the perfect bio in my Instagram profile. So it does need to be edited because I definitely see myself as both. Yeah. Um, well, it's funny because I, it, the reason why. it's always <laughs> interesting to me to, uh, you know, and in reality, no one really cares and it's not that important. Um, but, Nobody it's, cares. You're absolutely right. but it's always interesting <laughs> to see like how, 
people describe themselves and obviously like you know yeah. there's there's much more to the the whatever 200 characters you get to put in there but yeah I was, I was just interested to see that from you now knowing that you run again and you you know you've done a few races recently and more for the joy of it from what I can get a sense of but it's um yeah well to tell me about that like you have you have done a few races recently and I I saw that like you know you've had some amazing experiences and you're always got a smile on your face and like tell me what that's like for you when you're back out there not running as fast as you used to but it seems like just having a good time doing it oh man yeah um yeah it's so good because the runner's high is very real and there's definitely a satisfaction that comes from cycling and some feel good endorphins but it's different Mm. um like I, if I were to go out, like I can go out and run for an hour and get this. I mean, it's all, it's almost one of those things where it's like, I, ideas that I have or things that I think are really smart in the couple hours after I finish a great run, I usually need to give myself like a chill period on before I go like, I'm going to go send an email to someone because I just, I really get amped up. And it's, I mean, it's a very positive way, but yeah you probably can relate. Mm. <laughs> it's like, whoa, it's the uber happy time. I actually had a friend post this thing that she, it was something about like, um, how somebody who's in love sees everything in sunshine and rainbows and flowers and how all the rest of us see it. And I was like, oh, that's exactly how I feel after a run. Yeah. <laughs> like I see everything just in like technicolor, but cycling like for me to go out for an hour on the bike number one if i'm going out for an hour it's probably a coffee spin i'm mm-hmm. not going to get any kind of endorphin buzz from that and then it's like to get that same and mike woods recently did an interview and said essentially this same thing so i'm not crazy like to get the same sort of endorphin rush on a bike it's like you have to go out and crush so hard that then you're too tired mm. to even feel i mean there's that there's a different there's a sense of accomplishment like i don't Obviously, I love cycling, but it's not like what running does for me mentally, like the feel good that I get, like the, the, the positive vibes about life that I get from running, because we're never quite the same. I, I love them equally as sports, but yeah. for different reasons. And, the, and one piece that was there with running that just isn't the same. Because, yeah, like I said, it's, it's, it's at the end of a stage race and it's like, you're depleted and you're just like, Oh yeah, I feel like I did it. Like I accomplished that. I made it. But it's like, instead of, you know, the bouncing off the wall is kind of happy, super energetic. You feel after a run after, after cycling a stage race, it's like your mind is kind of there, but you don't want to do anything but like lay on a couch and maybe have like a massive chocolate protein shake that sounds so lame <laughs> i should be saying like a beer or a pizza i was, but I was hoping there would be a pizza ride, or like, something yeah because <laughs> uh, well, i make really good protein shakes like i freeze almond milk and then i blend frozen almond milk and regular almond milk and chocolate protein it literally tastes like a chocolate milkshake so sometimes it's like what's your go-to thing you love after a super hard workout and i'm like that sounds super lame but that's like all i want that's what it is the yeah. massive chocolate protein shake it's so good <laughs> And then, I mean, you know, beer and stuff can come later. But, um, but yeah, it's just different. I don't even remember what the question was. So I've completely gone off on you again. Me too, but I love, I love your <laughs> tangents. I'm, I'm into the tangents. It's good. Um, I'm so sorry. No, no, no. You're like, I thought we were going to have 45 minutes. It's been three hours. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. If you've got time, I've got time. Um, 
no, I think uh, it was just about the feelings of kind of the joy you get from running. And I, similar to me, like when I was racing in triathlon, a lot of people would say, oh, what's your favorite sport? Is it swimming? Is it cycling? Is it running? And I would always answer that when I was fit for running, there's no better yeah. feeling. Like you can just get in yeah. your flow so much easier, like, yeah. the, and you come back with that endorphin feeling more times than not. Um, so that was always my answer. And then the, yeah. uh, the opposite to that was like, um, my least favorite is running when you're not fit. It's like the most torturous, horrible experience True. when you're trying to get fit to run again. But, um, yeah, I totally get it's when true, you're... but at the same time, a lot of times, even if the run is crap, I mean, there are periods, I've had periods when it's like, you don't feel good on a run for like two weeks, and that's really hard. Mm-hmm. But if it's like one crappy run, even if during it, you're cursing like every single footstep, usually once you stop, you're yeah. like, yeah, you still get that, still that's get true. that rush. Yeah. That's very true. You know? Yeah. And I do remember now, you were saying, what's it like to be back? And, and I think, you know, I've run, I... I I, I wasn't ever going to jeopardize. It wasn't, you know, I couldn't run for a year after I had a bunch of surgeries and whatnot, which is, that's another whole part of this. Wow. We haven't even gotten there yet. But, mm-hmm. um, when I was first able to get back running, I, I didn't really, I might've run a little bit, but I didn't, I wasn't willing to jeopardize my time with Canyon Thram. Like it wasn't, I was going to put my all into cycling. And I, several cyclists will run in the off season, and I maybe did a little bit of that, but I didn't truly pick running back up on a regular basis until my contract was done at the end of December. Yeah. Um, so I started kind of two, three, four times a week max training, and then have run um, three half marathons since then. And I'm not sure that I've actually broke down crying yet but I've come near tears of joy every time I've crossed the finish line because I just never thought that I would get to do it again yeah. like it's gonna make me choke up right now <laughs> like it's just like I feel super blessed that just that I'm getting to do what I love because when I found out what was like how bad a shape my knee was in it was kind of like <laughs> you need to have some operations and we're just talking about so that so that in 15 years you'll be walking comfortably like yeah yeah it yeah was it's a, a lifestyle so, decision yeah that's tough yeah and it was just like who am i if i'm not a runner and obviously i found a way to be happy without it but now that i can have it i'm just i'm super i'm just like so grateful for <laughs> every run i get to take yeah well i'd love to hear more about that transition so you know you get the news that you can't really run anymore without surgery and you need, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, how quickly after that did you kind of find cycling, um, which obviously then led yeah. to the Zwift Academy? Can you t- share that part of the story with me? Yeah, I'm going to share it and I'm going to very much condense it because I could so tangent on this, but I'm going to give you like four years. I'm going to try to do it in less than three minutes. <laughs> Because the, you're on the clock. Go. And I've actually just, as I've been having this, yeah, right. I've been having this conversation. Like, I think it was actually with Pamela here, but I've had it. I feel like I've had it. Well, and then I met up with some friends from cross country. We had a reunion last night. Like a bunch of my friends from my cross country team are here in Boulder right now. So two of the girls are from Sweden. And anyway, wow, tangent already. <laughs> but so I've been telling this story and I've kind of been putting together. It makes sense. So, okay, here we go. Here comes my four minutes. So, the Olympic trials in 2012, the race didn't go quite 
like I, I thought I had really put all my eggs in that basket. I never expected to qualify for the Olympic Games, but I wanted to have my best race that day. I wanted to set like a personal best and go out and like give it my all. And I just, I ran decent, but it was not my best by a long stretch. And I was really upset. So then I was just like, run all the marathons. And I really like got like super strict on my sleep schedule and maybe a little too strict on my nutritional schedule. And, went and did all the things like my coach had basically said, if you look chill out in 2011, you can do what you want in 2012. So between the Olympic trials in January of 2012 and May, I ran eight marathons and a 50 miler and, and then came out to Boulder. I was like, this last time I was here was the beginning of the end (laughs) because I ran the Boulder, Boulder 10 K. And that surprisingly, not surprisingly because two weeks prior, I'd run a 50 miler one week prior, I'd run a marathon. And then I ran the 10 K at altitude. And it was just like, wow, I wonder why that didn't go well. And I don't wonder why now, but so I was ticked off about having a bad race there. So what did I do that afternoon? I went out for another run because Mm -hmm. I was mad about my 10 K and my hamstring kind of tweaked. And from that May until the following March, I went through so many different doctors and was trying to figure out what the problem was and in and out of different types of rehabilitation for it. And finally tried to run the Little Rock Marathon in March. I had to turn off at the halfway point because I was like, God forbid I just drop out. I'm at least going to run through the half marathon finish um, <clears throat> and could hardly walk. Finally, we got an MRI of my hip and rod. My hamstring was torn almost completely off. And I probably had been working on tearing since the previous May. So that was surgery number one, um, uh, reattaching my hamstring. And then I was on crutches for, I think, 12 weeks. And in that time, you know, again, God forbid I'd be smart and just, like, chill out. I was like, well, I'm going to go and walk on my crutches with my one leg slung behind me with, like, this Velcro strap thing. I went out and I would walk like five or 10 miles on my crutches, which all of my weight is either in my arms or on yeah. my right leg. So my right knee becoming a disaster in the following year shouldn't really be a surprise. Um, and it did. It was like the following April, I ended up having a knee scope. And then like you know, the next year I was looking at, I was trying to um, qualify for the 2016 trials. And so I was going to, all these different doctors and there's like, you might, you probably need to have some, um, these different types of injections. And, um, I'm trying to think of what it's called. There was some type of, it was going to cost me like five grand that insurance didn't cover it. And this other doctor, bless him, got in touch with my coach. and was like, I'm not Leah's doctor. I can't without her coming to see me, I can't diagnose that I've heard that she's thinking about doing this. And I feel like it's going to be a waste of her money. Mm-hmm. And I really would like to look at her knee. So he looked at my knee and he was the one who, you know, was like started talking to me about that. You probably, you're going to need, your knee is a real mess. Like he actually used the word, your knee disease. And I broke down. Like my coach was with me at the doctor's office and I can still, I can still picture his face. Just look at him. It's like, I couldn't, I couldn't hold it together. I was just like watching everything I knew about who I was unravel yeah, in, in front moment. of me. And wow. Yeah, and and I was working at a running store, you know, I didn't have, I had my own insurance, and he's telling me, like, you know, there's nobody, there's nobody here locally that can do what you need, I know a guy, he's out for bail, and the running community just wrapped me in so much love, like, they did a fundraiser for me so that I could come out to Vail and have 
the best knee surgeon in the country operate on my knee twice. Mm. And, um, wow. the first, so it was after that, that was probably a little more than four minutes, but I did. Okay. But <laughs> after that, so after the first surgery, I'm just like, okay. So basically the, the first surgery was going to be micro fracture and a repair to my meniscus. And one, you'll have this surgery to get your knee stable enough to handle the major surgery, which is going to be a bone graft to your femur. Like if you take a cadaver bone implant, like mm-hmm. took like a one inch or inch and a half section out of my femur and implanted cadaver bone in there. Um, you'll have, you know, it'll take three, four months to heal. Once it's healed up, we'll look for a donor. We find a donor, you'll come out, you'll come back out and then we'll do the transplant. Um, so in that time, the first, after the first surgery, I, while I was recovering from the first surgery, I was like, okay, signed up for a hundred mile bike ride. I didn't even own a bike yet. I was just like, it's going to have to be cycling. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know anything else that could even come close. So went home, bought a bike and I spent three months kind of starting to, I, I didn't expect to like it. I thought it was just going to be a means to an end, but I, I actually loved it. Um, and I thought, you know, everything, this is, everything's going to be okay. I just needed to find something else I loved. And then I had the second surgery in November and it was two more, two months on crutches. And then I was allowed to, um, ride on an indoor trainer, which I didn't, I didn't know, you know, in my mind, indoor trainer was like the equivalent of staring at a wall, being on a treadmill. And yeah. I just thought this is going to like, this is suicide mission. Like, I, I don't, I really don't know how I'm going to handle it. Like, maybe I'll just, maybe I'll just take two more months on crutches and just get fat because I just don't, I don't, whatever. But someone's like, well, you need to try Zwift. And that's where, and see, I told you I would get there. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, well, what is Zwift? And they explained to me what it was. And because at the time I was, I was doing, you know, I, obviously when I started on the train, like, we can do 20 minutes. And so my boyfriend had like an old, just like a stationary, like, you know, you set your bike on it and loud. And I was doing that for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. And around the 40 minute mark, I was just like, I just don't know how much more of this I can do without. And that's when I heard about Swift. And I was just like, okay, this is a game changer. Like I can handle this now just because I have a little screen to stare at and I have a world to go around instead of a wall. And this one doesn't make a noise like a lawnmower. Like we're good. Yeah. So that December was, yeah, that was my Christmas present from my boyfriend with my wallet snap. And I got set up on Zwift and I just became like a Zwifting maniac, but I never did any workouts. I never did. I would just get up. I would get up at four in the morning and ride for two hours every day before work. Yeah. And then, and, um, and I had a friend, my friend Missy and her and her husband, Tom both rode and, and, and she, she sent me this message and she was just like, Hey, Tom and I read about this competition that she's like, you know, I know you've been using that Zwift program. And she sent me this article that was like Zwift Academy, become a pro cyclist. And I remember reading it and I was just like, huh, I wonder I'm sitting here in my car reading this. Yeah. I wonder what the person is like. Who's actually like, I mean, immediately I was just like, Oh, I'll, I'll do this. That sounds fun. Yeah. Sounds motivating. Like it'll get me, it'll kind of, you know, maybe get me back into like a competitive mode instead of just getting on the trainer and riding 40 miles every morning. Um, but I wonder what person's like who went in and yeah. it wasn't even like a, Oh, maybe it'll be me. Maybe like me, yeah. there was, it was, that was, 
It was so far from my mind. So I started the program and it was awesome because it was like you had this community of people, you know, you, you could chat to and, and, you know, you could look and see how your progress was and start, you know, you would notice there was these group rides you had to do. And of course this is a worldwide thing happening. So I knew the initial round, it was like three months. It's, it's way condensed down these days, but the first year it was three months was the initial program that you had to graduate from 27 workouts. Now I think it's eight. Right. It's gotten way more streamlined, but in the inaugural year, I mean, it's 27 workouts and nine group rides you had to do over three months. And so in these group rides, you know, you'd have little KOM challenges or sprint banners that people would go for. And I'd be like, you know, dang, I'm, 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 I'm doing pretty well in my group, but I was always on the same time frame. So you don't know, you don't have a clue who else, you know, is crushing it while you're sleeping or vice, you know, um, so I didn't have any reason to think like, okay, I'm doing well in these group rides I'm in, but there's 1,200 women doing this. So I'm always riding with the same one. Yeah. And, um, about halfway through it, I got this email that was like, Hey, we've noticed that your numbers are kind of decent and, um, we want to learn a little more about you. Like this doesn't by any means mean that you are going to make a selection. <laughs> we just have a few questions and it was the kind of thing like <laughs> what um how many races like list your top three race results and I had only done one in real life race at that time like I'd done zero when I started yeah. the academy but I'd done one when I got this survey so I was like well I've done one so this is my top result and it was like which are you most proud of I was like well I guess I'm most proud of that one that same <laughs> one the only one I've done <laughs> yeah and uh, and it was like, what's, um, is there, you know, is it, what reason do you, like, what are your, what are your goals with racing? And then she's like, I don't know. It's like, is there anything that would stop you from pursuing the life of a professional cyclist? And I just remember reading that and I was like, death or injury. Like, I don't even, I don't even know what being a pro cyclist, I mean, I know what it means, but like, I hadn't even at that point in time put any thought behind what does that mean? Yeah. I just knew it meant like life as an athlete, which to me sounded like it's kind of, I mean, I, I had never sat down and thought like, oh, I want to be a pro athlete. And I'm like, but, but without ever saying that, that's the dream I've been chasing with running for years. Mm -hmm. I was just like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and after that was the first time that I just thought, and I still didn't think, oh, I might win it. I just, if you made it to the, if you made it to the semifinals, to the top 10, you got a Wahoo kicker, you got a power meter, you got a Canyon Tramp jersey. And I was just like, I want all the things. Like, if I can just make here, I get a free trader. Like, yeah. winning. 100%. Like, I've won the game already. Like, forget the pro contract. I want the <laughs> That's trainer. A, you want I the win. jersey. Yeah, and the trainer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I want the jersey. I yeah. want that kit. You know, I want that Rafa kit. It's sweet. And so come the day that they're announcing the semifinalists. And I mean, talk about like a day that worth with at work just refresh 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 all day long i don't i probably accomplished nothing like if i was still at that job i'd be like hey you should have fired me that day because i didn't do anything <laughs> and it was that evening that i was i was going out for a bike ride and finally here came the email like you oh that's making me like choke up right now why it's <laughs> awesome it's a great oh, story i love it <laughs> yeah and so then it was just like oh my god i made it well, then you kind of reevaluate. Like, I get my trainer, I get my power. It's so awesome. And then it was like, you know, the top three, 
got to go spend 10 days in Mallorca with the pro team. And it was, you know, again, it wasn't even, I was like, well, okay, if I get to Mallorca, they're going to see me ride a bike and be like, um, your handling skills aren't so great. So there's no way I'm going to win, but I might get a trip to Mallorca, like yeah. get to meet these pro girls. And, you know, it kind of was this joke with my friends, like, can you imagine? Because I, I mean, I wasn't awful with handling, but I was skittish in a group. I'm, I wasn't great at cornering, you know, and there, it was just kind of like, you know, we laughed about not, it was the, the process was the thought of it wasn't a joke, but the joke was just like, yeah, you're so strong. And then you're going to get there. And they're going to be like, what the hell? Yeah. Wait till they see but, you. Rod. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, within once now that it was whittled down, to, it actually ended up being 12th in my finals that year with, for yeah anyway um so you know you could really stalk the people like doing what look at their numbers outdoor and look at the test results they're doing and you see somebody put up these really big numbers like shoot i need to go and do that test and there's a couple of girls who i thought it was very clear they're going to be in the top three and then there was a couple that i wouldn't say any of those super clear but there was a few that based on just their numbers i was like okay those two or three probably aren't going to make it those two for sure are going to make it. And I'm somewhere in this gray area. And, um, and the day that the announcement was supposed to come, I had actually signed up for, there was this local cyclocross race, which I was a little bit terrified of, but I was just like, oh, you know, whatever, it's fine. And I was on the cyclocross course warming up and I had already crashed once and my phone started ringing or I didn't hear my phone ring, but I suddenly like, I heard the sound of like a voice sound. I looked up and it was this, 404, it was the number of Kate from Zwift, and I just was like, my heart stopped. And I was just like, okay, well, she wouldn't be calling me to tell me I didn't make it right, but, you know, you didn't want to get stopped on the course. Oh, now I'm really going to cry. Excuse me. <laughs> I get so emotional about it. I wasn't this emotional that day. Like, I, mean, I wasn't crying. I was pathetic, but I stopped on the course, and I called... <laughs> And she told me, and I was like, I started screaming. And my boyfriend was also racing, and he came around the corner, and my bike is on the ground. And I'm sitting there screaming, and he, he dropped his bike. He thought, I, he thought I had hurt myself. Yeah. He, he dropped his bike and started run, and ran over to me, and he's like, are you okay? And poor Kate, <laughs> I'm just like shrieking in her ear. And I just looked at him, and I was like, I'm going to Mallorca. And then he started screaming, and we were just jumping up and down, and I was like, I'm sorry, Kate. And she's like, I have been looking forward to making this phone call because I knew that you were going to be more excited than anybody. Yeah. And I know I was. I was just like, I was just thrilled. And um, What an amazing moment. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How? Yeah, it was. It was. How much of that, like, how much did it, it obviously meant something to you by, you know, the end of that three-month process. How, like, yeah. can you remember how that changed from, like, oh, this will be cool, I get to do a bunch of workouts and talk to people to the moment you're on the cyclocross course screaming and your boyfriend's embracing you and Kate's, you know, excited to have that conversation. Like, what was that like for you? Overwhelming. I mean, un unbelievable. Unbelievable. And then it was just like, 
I rolled over to one of my friends where I was like, I'm not racing. And they're like, oh, come on. I was like, nope. I was like, I just found out I'm a finalist. And then everybody, like, the support that I had through it, they were just like, oh, you know. And and from that point on, I mean, <laughs> Little Rock is such an amazing community. And I mean, I'm sure a lot of people say it's about their community. But it's like, for me to say I was going to the Olympic trials, people were just like, you're an Olympian. And mm-hmm. so it's like, for me to say, like, I'm going to the finals, they were just like, you're going to win. And I, I don't know. I don't know if people actually thought they already knew. I don't know how they could, because surely they hadn't been stalking the other competitors like I had. Yeah. Or if they were just trying to be positive, but they were like, you're going to be a pro. And I was like, you guys. <laughs> Come, Come on. on. Like, it's me. Come on. Yeah. 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 Um, but I was just like super I was so stoked to go um and you know you say like what was it like and thinking about the emotions like and it never it never got old mm-hmm. it still hasn't gotten old like I think back on those two years and there was definitely some hard times like emotionally more so than physically it emotionally beat the crap out of me but I would do it again tomorrow if somebody was just like hey um Ronnie just called from Kenya and they want you back on the team well first I'd be like this is obviously April Fool's Day but <laughs> if they were telling the truth I would be I would I would in a heartbeat shitty salary and all <laughs> like I would yeah. because I just it's like you know and I and I remember being in that first season having times that I was just like, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this season. Like I might just need to tell them I'm not cut out for this and go home. Mm-hmm. Um, it was hard and I never thought it would be easy, but it was so hard. I mean, on top of being like, you're so, I was so far behind everyone else I was competing with. And then on top of it, it's like, I mean, Keenan Tram racing is one of the best teams in the world. So it's not exactly like I was just like going to a developmental UCI team and like, Hey, here's your pro experience. And I'm kind of similar level to some of the other girls there. Like I was so far behind everybody on my team that you kind of show up to these races and you feel like dead weight. Mm. And you know, the team's making a race plan is that you want to raise your hand and say like, I'll work to do this, but I know I don't know if I can even be in the position to do that. So people did their best. I mean, I think to not make me feel bad, but I always felt bad anyway. Yeah. But, but I just, I was just going to say, was there any instances where like, you obviously feel like an outsider a little bit and you're kind of coming in here. Like, were you able to like talk to anyone about that? Like, was it, was it kind of, um, yeah, like what? Who was your support network through that time? Like, was was Zwift there to support? Like, was it your your boyfriend and your family? Like, who was there for you? I, I think. I mean, my boyfriend is always supportive, but I think he's kind of quietly supportive. I mean, he's just like you know, just remember you belong there. Like, you're gonna do great. Like, you know, I love you, but. I think he kind of knows he can, he, he, he gets it, but he's not in that situation. So it's like, he's not going to try to say things he doesn't know. Yeah. So it's like, he always was just like, 
he was very positive and very supportive, but there was nothing from an inside point of view that he could say that was going to make me feel better. And he knew that. So I think he, he just, he, he was supportive in the best way he knew how my family definitely didn't get it. And I don't know that that's my fault any more than theirs or whatever, but I, um, yeah, they didn't know. Um, <laughs> they were, they were super supportive of me. Like I know at first when I told my one and I told my dad, he was like, uh, so what is this going to pay? And cause I had, I was working corporate. Like I had a really good job with great benefits. And he's like, um, so, so what about insurance? Like what, so how are you going to afford? So wait, what? Yeah. And I think he was very, he was very concerned as a parent about just me making financial decisions that were smart. But then once he saw, I mean, he's said to me multiple times since he's like, I'm so, you made the right decision, but I'm so glad that you followed your heart on that because it's, you know, the best thing you've ever done. Um, but, but they didn't get it at all from like a, they, they don't, they didn't understand it. The, the bike racing thing. Yeah. I wanted the best, the biggest support I probably had. I mean, Kate from Zwift was always there for me, but I think the person who actually was able to at least have moments of making me feel the best was my female Alexis mm-hmm. and Mika actually in my first year, but Alexis, I mean, she was the only other American on the team. Um, she just knew what to say. And, I mean, I remember a couple of times that um, I'd been come the, – the team manager had come down on me. And I, I, don't, I don't want this at all to turn into any me talking bad, but it was just like there was a few scenarios where the timing of the conversation that we had was, was really bad for me. And maybe he just didn't realize it, but it was like right before a really big race getting on to me about something – that was so irrelevant and did nothing but make me feel very small. Yeah. And I got in the car and I was just like choking back tears. And Alexis just kind of looked at me and she's like, are you okay? And of course that's like, that's like the trigger phrase for somebody who's trying not to cry. It's like just tip <laughs> the glass over and let the waterworks start, you know? And so, and then she just like, you know, kind of put her hand on my shoulder and she's like, what did he say? And I kind of told her and she's like, you know, she was just, she was, she was, she was the youngest on the team at the time, and I was the oldest by quite a stretch. And but she was an old soul, and she was just she was so calming. You know, she's just like, just let it go. Yeah. Like, don't worry about it. He's trying to get in your head. Just let it go. And just we just had some good talks about just you know, pro cycling can be brutal, and and people different people communicate different ways. And and Randy was was he was a very East German, you know, and it's just like. I think at times he could be that person who liked to make people feel like they had to prove themselves because that was going to get a good result. And for some people yeah. it really works, yeah. but I'm not one of those people. You know, I was the one like, I don't want you to tell me I'm a great cyclist and clearly I have to improve, but I like, I needed my running coach from college. Like I needed, I needed someone to believe in me so hard that I, that I would believe in myself. And instead it was just like, this constant kind of even the people who are trying to make me feel good, like, you know, they don't believe in you because mm-hmm. over and over again, you go and you fail. So it's like, it was hard, but I always wanted 
to keep improving. I always wanted to do better and I tried so hard, but it's like, I was so far behind. Yeah. Yeah. Like given the, do you think that given more time, um, you would have reached a level where you felt like it wasn't a failure? Um, like, do you have that? Like, Um, yeah. Tell me about that. I do. And, and it's, well, it's, it's, it's been, I mean, I don't sit and lament on it too much. I'm 40. If I was younger, I think, and I could get, and it was easier to get a place on any team than, um, I mean, it was never going to come easy for me. And I think there's certain weaknesses I had that at my age with my experience, I, mean, I shouldn't put age shouldn't be a limiting factor. But when I say at my age, my reason for saying that is that I started cycling at 36. So mm-hmm. I think I had some inherent, and I come from a background of a lot of injury and having lost my identity over injury and I had to rebuild it. So it's like, my fear of getting hurt was high and my natural built-in inhibition as somebody who's older and feels fragile. Like I don't have that mentality of a win at all costs. It's kind of like, eh, protect my body at all costs, yeah. which I needed to be a little bit more on the other edge of it. So some things I don't know if I would have improved, but when I look back at my results, like, I mean, in my first six races, I finished one. And then at the end I was improving. I still wasn't good enough to be at the level of my teammates, but on multiple other m- lower level teams, I could have been in the mix of those teams, you know, yeah. but it's like, but I can't, I can't put, you know, Zwift had the supplement to even make it a livable salary for me to do it on that team. So, and they weren't going to, you know, they couldn't pay for me to be on another team and the other team, like I could get a spot on a UCI team for $0, but I can't afford on my own dime to go live in Europe and I can't work over there. So yeah. it's just not possible. Um, and I was given a, a second year, but then I wasn't raced and I don't want to sound bitter about it, but it's been one of those things that I just, I wish I'd been given more opportunities and I understand that, you know, when you're dealing with a roster and you need to give the races to your best riders, but it's just like, I I think I probably had close to 60 race days in my first year. And in my second, I had 18. Right. So, and then at the end of that year, you know, when I had to have the talk, you know, with the manager, it was like, well, we haven't seen the improvement in you that we would have hoped. And, you know, so we, this is, we're not going to be renewing your contract. And it's just like, of course I was, I was, I was an adult and I was professional about it, but I wanted to scream, you know, like, well, no shit. Yeah. How did you expect me to improve when I can't, I can go out and I can practice descending by myself a million times, but I couldn't get into races in Spain because they don't allow disc bikes. So I couldn't take myself to a race in Spain. And it was kind of like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to set you up to do some smaller races in Belgium, but it just never happened. And it was kind of like the reason being that we don't have the resources to support you or we don't have someone to look after you. And it's kind of the, you know, I understand that a team of that stature, like they don't want to send a rider with no support. They don't want you to show up at a race unsupported, but I would have happily, all I needed was, Somebody said, well, we'll pay for this because I just couldn't afford to do it on my own. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I don't need you to have a swung year with me. I don't need, I can, I can get myself to these races and look after myself. Like, and I had asked at one point, I was like, can I just ask you like, why, why didn't those races that I was supposed to go get practice and why didn't that ever happen? And that was the answer was we had no one to look after. I'm like, damn it. I'm, I'm 39 years old. Like, yeah. 
I just, I just wish I would have had more chances because mm-hmm. I feel like what I, what held me back was lack of experience in a Peloton. And the only way to get better at that is in the Peloton. Like, okay, go out and ride with a group so I can get really comfortable riding with 10 or 20 people who are in an organized pace line, but they're not, I can't just find a group of riders and be like, Hey, I need race practice. So yeah, if you guys like racing. just throw a bunch of attacks down and pretend to race me today, like yeah. it just doesn't work that way. Like, and I can train my systems to be like, like my power numbers increase, like my, my FTP increased and I'm way better at descending on my own, but you put me into 150 other women who are descending super fast and I'm so scared. And the only way to get over that is to do it. Yeah. So, yeah. So I do feel like, you know, I feel like, yeah, if I, if I'd had more opportunities, would I have improved enough for them to resound me? I don't know, but maybe I would have had some better results that then I could have gone to a team and said, hey, you know, I'm coming from this team and I have this experience racing in Europe and I'd love to continue racing. I think I can add value to your team, which I did try to do. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's a highly, it's so hard to get onto a team. Yeah. Like I couldn't even get onto, by the time I approached, you know, like domestic elite teams who I think if I had approached them when I was approaching bigger teams, I probably would have got a spot, but it's like by the time I reached out to those teams, they were full. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I th- I think like all in all, what an amazing experience, um, not without its ups and downs, but uh, what yeah. a what a journey for you. Those, you know, those three years, uh, very amazing uh, opportunity that you took with both hands and you gave it everything you had. Absolutely. No regrets. No regrets. You know, when people say, like, do you wish you had done anything differently? I'm like, well, on one hand, yeah, I wish I had started cycling younger. <laughs> but if I had started cycling younger, I probably wouldn't have run so much. I probably yeah. wouldn't have been hurt. And I wouldn't have ended up on Bliss. And I wouldn't have been in that competition. And maybe I would have been going after pro cycling. And I probably never would have had a spot. I wouldn't have even got those two years. Yeah. But, you know, you go back to your everything happens for a reason. And, mm-hmm. like, not putting you where you need to be when you need to be there. Like I've lived it. Like yeah. it was definitely a rocky road, but like, I don't, I think if I had started cycling younger, I never would have been part of a world tour team. Yeah. So. Well, you also miss on, yeah. miss out on some of the amazing experiences you had as a runner and that, you know, back to that talk yeah. we had about the, the feeling you get from running. It's, you know, you can't, yeah. you can't have it, have it all, but you know, these experiences all add up to create the amazing people that we are, um, not being, <laughs> not being arrogant about that, but you know, the, the people who are living their best lives, I think are amazing no matter what. So, um, so that's, that's the reason I say that. But, um, one thing I, you know, we had met at Land Run, um, at a gravel race yeah. in, in Stillwater. Uh, it was a funny story. There was crossed wires about some guy wanted some I-Core f- from you and it was me, but I didn't actually need it and whatever. And then we met. Um, and that was, I think that was your first gravel race, if I'm correct. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, which is, it, it's, oh, the gravel thing is so funny for me because the long and short of it is I ended up on a gravel team because I was looking for a road team and couldn't find one. And one of my friend's boyfriend, she's like, well, my boyfriend's putting together a gravel team. Do you have any interest? And I was like, well, I will give it a shout out because damn it, I want a team and I definitely need a bike. And then it was like the bike sponsor for that team happened to be allied 
who are five miles down the road from where I live in Little Rock. So it was like, oh, wow. what? A, and, and, and it's not a Little Rock team. Like everyone else on the team is West Coast in Canada. Yeah. So I'm like, maybe they'll, maybe they'll want me on this team just because I'm like hometown girl for Allies. I don't know what their reason was, but they're just like, yeah, we'll, we'll take you on this team. But so now when I go to things, like even when I showed up here, I'm in Boulder right now doing some training, trying to prepare for a gravel race at the end of August. And, the couple I'm staying with, um, um, Pamela, she's just like, we went out on a ride and I was, we were chatting about gravel and I got to, to explaining how like it's still, I can still count on one hand the number of times I've ridden on gravel in my life. It's like, wait, what? I thought gravel was like your thing. And I'm like, yeah, that's just a misconception that I put on myself because I'm a member of a team of a gravel team and my teammate won dirty Kansas. And now it's just like, you must be amazing at gravel. And it's like, well, I mean, I'm not saying I could never be, like, maybe I could be, but I'm certainly not yet. And I went to a stage race um, as a guest rider on a team up in Bend, and there was gravel sectors. And, I mean, I did I did pretty terrible. Like, at Land Run went fine for me, but I don't, I am not comfortable to where I didn't really, um, I didn't care for having the gravel sector in the middle of a road race. Yeah. Um, and people are like, but I thought, but aren't you a pro gravel rider? I'm like, ugh. Mm, okay. That old one. Like, yeah. When I showed up at Land Run, I was riding with a with a man for a long time. We, you know, in between like deep breaths and wheezing, we had a little bit of conversation. And he was like, this is my third gravel race. And I was like, this is my third time ever riding on gravel. Period. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, and and I I I like I like riding on gravel. I have the verdict is yet to be decided on if I enjoy racing it. I did like Land Run, yeah. Um, but I'm realizing the more time I spend on gravel, that Land Run actually is really if it's not soggy, which it wasn't for us, um, it's pretty gentle terrain. I mean, as yeah. far as like there's a couple technical sections, but there's not a lot of loose rock sections. There wasn't a, there wasn't. I don't remember many sections that scared me. And I've been on a gravel ride since then that like every descent was loose rock and it terrified me. Like, forget this. I'll take hairpin turns on the road any day. Yeah. So <laughs> we'll see if time makes that better. Um, I don't, I, I, I really do like, I like being off the road and just enjoying like kind of the, I like the gravel scene. I don't know that I think I'll ever be a great gravel racer. And if I am, that's great. And if I'm not, that's fine too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if my team wants to hear me say that, but I mean, I told them up front, I was like, listen, road is my priority. I like the thought of gravel. I like the vibe. I'll give it a shot, but I just want to set the expectations. Right. And they've been awesome about that. You know, about just saying like, yeah, we get it. Like, yeah. Come in and check it out. See if you like it. So, well, I, you know, I, yeah. I think we met there, and then we've both, we're both headed to Rooted Vermont. Um, Ted and Laura's racing a little bit, yeah. and then also SBT Gravel. And I, yes, kind of committed. Why I'm here, trying to adapt to altitude. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're going to be committed. a little bit ahead of me. Miles. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny. After Land Run, I was like, man, I I really need to do some work because I, you know, I'd, I'd ridden a little bit over the winter, but I haven't done any structured training for almost three and a half years or two and a half years. And, um, I was like, Oh man, I like had a good time there, but I also realized that like I could get through three hours and feel comfortable. But then beyond that, I was, I struggled. So 
I committed to getting ready yeah. for for SBT, so I've put in some pretty good work. And I think, like, you talked about John and Pamela, who you're staying with, who John yes. uh, has been a great supporter of, of ours with iCore Labs. Um, and yes. for me, like, the ability to have that product and, and recover um, has been amazing. Yes. Like, what's your experience been with, like, recovery being a little older and, and, and you know, a history yeah. of injuries, things like that? Like, what's well, your experience been? Well, you know, it's interesting. Like, it's another one of those people coming into your life and, you know, just right things at right time. Like I met John, um, Robichide back in 2012 when I was still, I was working at a running store and met at the running event in Austin and he was working for scratch at the time. And I mean, I was instantly going to the scratch lab, like, you know, just full disclosure. It was, they had scratch aritas. They had margaritas at the event. And I was like, yes, please. So I was very concentrated at chatting with John and we just, we just hit it off. Like we were just kind of like, he was just kind of Insta friends and he was working for scratch at the time. And I ended up being a scratch ambassador. And then since then their ambassador program changed and I quit running and he left scratch. And, um, we hadn't, we'd stayed, you know, we were still friends on Facebook and every now and then might, you know, comment on each other's posts or something, but it wasn't like we were in constant contact. Um, but around the end of last year, I can't even recall what it was that caused him to get in touch with me, but he was just like, hey, I started up this new company and we're doing CBD and have you heard anything? And, and at the time, I was, I was finishing out my contract and I was just kind of like, well, as far as being able to promote any product or try any product, if it's something I'm going to be taking, number one, it has to be approved by our sports nutritionist because yeah. of WADA and all of that. He's like, yeah, it's WADA approved. I'm like, well, I understand that, but... I'm just like, you know, like, as of right now, you'd have to go through my team. Um, come January, I can do what I want. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm happy to, I mean, and I'm like, unless I'm, unless I get a surprise and they read my contract, but if, if things go the way they're expecting to, I'd love to try it. He explained the benefits of CBD that can be used for, and at the time I was taking anti-anxiety medication and I was taking Ambien every single day, 10 milligrams Ambien, like, because I just had struggled with sleep issues for years. Um, and so it kind of was one of those things here. I was wanting to get off all the prescription meds, yeah. and here comes John with the CB, and I was just like, maybe I'll give this a shot. And um, so I started using the iCore daily, and um, and I am I am still prescription drug free. Actually, I did refill my Ambien because let me tell you, international travel or any sleep before races, so I have it so that I can take it in those instances, but I don't use anything on a daily. Um, I just use the I-Core and um, before I start to sound like an advertisement, <laughs> I am certainly not advising that anybody without talking to the doctor get off of their anti-anxiety meds or their sleep meds, but it was a decision I made yeah. and I weaned myself off and I've been able to stay off. Um, as far as the recovery, the recovery is actually, have you tried the recovery shot? I'm sounding more and more like an informer and I really don't mean to, but no, I haven't tried it yet, but I'm looking for you, looking forward to trying it. You, yeah, you need to because with the with the daily, it's kind of it's it's hard for me to say. I mean, I think that it works, but I think it's kind of like you know when people take vitamins, and you're just kind of like it's not like it's not like you feel something like when you drink a bunch of caffeine or when you drink a beer or whatever you or you take your 
ambient. Like, it's not those things you instantly feel. It's just like, well, it's either helping yeah. or it's neutral. Like, mm-hmm. I can't, like, it's not doing anything adverse. And it's possibly helping, so I'll keep doing it. But the recovery shot, I can honestly say, like, I took those up to Cascade Classic with me. And now I didn't have exactly the ratio that I wanted because there was at some altitude and I'm terrible with altitude and there was some gravel and I wasn't so great with the gravel. But as far as like, I've done numerous stage races now over the course of a few years. And typically you start off, especially maybe day three. And the first time you have to like follow an attack or make an attack and your legs just are screaming at you. Like I've already got days of racing in me. Like Mm -hmm. I did not have any of that. I didn't have any of that. Like, so, so I'm sold. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still on the recovery shot works. So yeah, it's been, it's been awesome. Just have them as a partner in my corner. I mean, not only just with the product, but them putting me up at their house and giving me a place to acclimate and train and, and be here in Boulder. Like I just, yeah, super, super blessed. Great yeah. people. Great people. And I, John, John and I yeah. are connected, um, you know, through friends of friends and then found out that he's from the same town as my wife and like, you know, a few streets over kind of thing. And, um, as I said to you earlier, that stayed, stayed with them. And, um, when I did a, a quick trip to Boulder last year, so just really good people and, um, great supporters of, of everything that we've been doing within a voice and, and the podcast as well. So yeah, super grateful to yeah. have crossed paths with those guys. And like, for me, I guess back to my story about the recovery, like whenever I've run out, I've noticed, you know, my sleep changes. Um, I use whoop, which is yeah. kind of tracking my heart rate variability and my sleep and consistency and things like that. So there's actually like, you know, what you know, the key, you know, what the key is the solution to that is what's that? Don't, don't run, run out. out. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> totally. Stop. Well, on, the thing that I'm like, you can't see when it, like it, it's a brown bottle. So I'm like, yeah. I can't see. And I'm, I that's, should just have like, this, that's true. I should get on the subscription plan. But anyway, I, there's been a few times and I'm, and I notice it in the numbers in my sleep performance and things like that. And general, yeah. like a general sense of fatigue after like a long day or a, a hard workout or what have you. Um, is, has been noticeable for me. So I agree, like, there's this neutral or positive benefit, but even the numbers that I've seen kind of support it, which is um, which is cool as well. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm very, very excited to uh, to spend more time together over the next few weeks in both in Vermont and then also in Colorado. Yeah, it's, I've loved our conversation today. Is there anything that we missed? I know that we kind of skipped over quite a few things and, and took the, the short route around some of the topics, but... Um, is there anything we left know. out? I feel like I've been, I, I feel like there was probably a purpose to this call that I, I threw out the window the minute I started rambling. <laughs> so I just hope that whatever we were supposed to talk about, I, <laughs> I don't even know. It's been a great conversation. It's been great to, for you to let me ramble on and on and on. But um, yeah, I, I, I feel like originally we were maybe going to talk about travel and all I've really said about it is that to date, it still terrifies me. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know if I've uh, if I've achieved the mission, but no. I've given you as much of my story as I feel like is needed. Um, yeah. Well, you've been super generous with your story, and I really appreciate it. And I think the mission for me when I enter into these conversations is uh, is to learn more about the person I'm talking to um, and yeah. find a connection and allow them the space to to share. And I think we we accomplished that. And the yeah. other one was you said I wouldn't stump you, and I I got you off the bat with that. <laughs> question about your life growing up so for me mission oh, yeah. accomplished <laughs> yeah i was just like 
Yeah. Um, there we go. Well, I don't take it for granted. Like, yeah, not at all. I'm so I'm so fortunate. Yeah. Yeah. This has been awesome. I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for your time. And okay. I hope it wasn't too much babble babble. <laughs> not at all. It was good. It was great. So awesome. Safe travels. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Cheers. Bye. All right. Thank you to Leah for sharing her story with me, and obviously thank you to you for listening. You can check out Leah on Instagram and follow her journey on her new team for 2020. Thanks again to the team at iCore Labs for supporting today's episode. As I mentioned, I'm a big believer in their products. So much so, I'm willing to go off script here a little and give you a chance to try the product for yourself. If you'd like to try the iCore Recovery Shot, send me an email to travis at innervoice.life and I'll send you some to try. If you're already a believer... You can also head to iCallLabs.com and get 15% off each and every order by using code InnerVoice at checkout. That's all one word, InnerVoice at iCallLabs.com. If you enjoyed the episode, I'm going to ask two things of you. Firstly, please head to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star rating and review so other endurance sports enthusiasts can find the show. Secondly, please send this episode to one friend that you think will benefit from listening to the show. Also, if you have a suggestion for someone with an interesting and inspiring story, I'd love to hear from you. My goal is to share a new episode once a week in 2020, so let's fill that pipeline. Until next time, get out there, enjoy your workout, and stay tuned for more great inner voice content coming your way very soon.